Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Be A Wellness. Every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading expert, and each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can go out there and build your own empire. I'd love to get your thoughts on these new episodes that we're doing every week. So please feel free to reach out at yasmin at behindherempire.com or on Instagram at yasmin k nori. I'd love to hear what you think. All right, now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. I mean, basically from the time that you're in your late 20s, we are actively losing about three to 8% of muscle mass every single year. We are all naturally gonna become more insulin resistant. Then what you're at risk for most significantly as you lose estrogen is bone changes, osteopenia, osteoporosis. It's like, take care of your adrenals, do some resistance training to make sure that you're keeping good muscle mass on your body. You do those two things and menopause will be a total breeze. Welcome to Hormone Happy Hour. We are your hosts, Yasmin and Kea. And in 2021, we started a company called Bia that's dedicated to empowering women to take control of their health and really understand their hormones. And in the process, we learn so much from experts in this space and we can't keep that information to ourselves. So here we are sharing it with everyone because you all deserve healthy and happy hormones. So Yasmin, what are you drinking this morning? the money question. So I am drinking a chamomile tea. And I know we're talking a little bit before the podcast, but I'm on my period week. And I feel like I'm trying to just embrace not having my full energy like I usually do. So I'm trying to just like take it easy and do all things that feel more soothing. And I know, you know, chamomile is in our product and I've learned so much about the benefits. So I just grabbed it this morning. I'm like, this feels real nice right now, but. Oh, I love that. Yeah. As Yasmin mentioned, we put chamomile in our seed cycling product because chamomile has so many benefits. You might know it for having anti-anxiety effects, but chamomile is actually very soothing to the gut too, which a lot of people don't know. So it can help with gut healing as well. So we love chamomile here. Yes. Yes. How about you? What are you doing this morning? So I have my single shot Americano and I'm off of almond milk for a little bit. So right now I'm having a two half and half, which I don't do a lot of dairy, but um, this is the, the one thing that I am trying. And so kids, does dairy break you out? And what is A2 milk? Dairy, if you are acne prone, uh, dairy is one of the first things that people recommend cutting out because there is a link between dairy, inflammation, acne, so many things. And I think a majority of people actually cannot tolerate a lot of dairy. Um, Sometimes people can have a little bit of cheese or goat or sheep, but really overall, most people can't tolerate a lot of dairy. Now, with A2 milk, so there's two types of proteins uh, in milk. There's A1 and A2 casein, and casein is a protein. So A1 is known to be a little bit more inflammatory, and A2 is a bit easier to digest. So people who have trouble with milk, they recommend sometimes try A2 milk only. It doesn't have the A1 protein in it. So I'm experimenting. We'll see. I'll report back. (laughs) 
I'm curious to try it. And does it say it straight up on the milk box, like A2? It's easy to find? Yes. It says, okay. it literally says A2. And it's um, it's grass-fed. It's organic. You can pretty much see it at most uh, grocery stores, especially like Whole Foods and those kinds of places. Yeah. No, I'm excited to see how it goes for you and try it. I feel like I've been doing a little too much almond milk, and I feel like it's a little more processed than I want. So I'm just curious to see how it goes for you. I definitely break out with dairy. Like it's pretty immediate. So I've cut it out of my diet, but, um, maybe I'll kind of bring this in and see what it feels like, but I'm excited. Totally. Yeah. I'm curious, especially with people who don't do well with dairy. I'm always interested in just this experiment or trying goat products or sheep products sure. sometimes. Yasmin, I wanted to share with you a study that I read recently, which is really interesting. So everybody knows the trend of 10,000 steps a day. It became super popular a few years ago. Everybody should hit 10,000 steps a day. And since then, I think we've all been wondering, is there any merit to this arbitrary number of 10,000 steps? So a study came out recently that said about between about, I think it was 8,000 and 9,000 steps, has so a daily has so many total body benefits people who get between 8000 and 9000 steps a day have less chance of heart disease um GERD so get like a digestive diseases wow. um pretty much it had a whole list of things that you can reduce your risk of if you get 8,000 to 9,000 steps a day. So my goal for this year is to start, first I've started tracking my steps to just see how many am I actually getting a day. Okay. And I've been trying to hit 10,000 steps a day and it is, it's pretty hard. It's, it's really pretty hard. hard to do. Yeah. So how are you tracking your steps? So I am a little bit old school. I have a pedometer that I just wear on okay, my on, you. on my body. Mm -hmm. Yep. But if you have a, a iWatch or a Fitbit or whatever it is, I don't like to wear a ton of things um, on me. I don't wear watches and a ton of jewelry. So okay. just the pedometer clip to me is great. But anybody who has a smartwatch, which is most people these days, sure. um, you can track your, your steps right there. And um, there is value to it. So if you're just getting started on movement, that's a really nice goal to get to is 8,000 to 9,000 steps a day. And, you know, this is one hack that my husband drew, you know, your brother does like he's, tr he's been doing a good job trying to hit 12,000 because of a separate regimen that he's on. And it'll be like, you know, six o'clock. And he's like, you know, should I haven't hit my steps yet. So he'll just like kind of walk back and forth in our house. Is that what you do to kind of get your steps? Or are you walking outside to kind of hit that number? For me, I have to, I tend to do better outside. I yeah. don't know about you, Yasmin, but after about 4 p.m., 5 p.m. for me, I'm just spent. Yeah. And it's a lot of chasing the baby around and a lot of getting dinner ready and cleaning the house and just winding down. I don't want to walk around in my living room. <laughs> yeah. um, people, you know, they do to get the, the, those steps. So for me, I just try to make it more of a priority to get outside throughout the day and yeah. take meetings. I don't have to be in front of my computer. I just try to take them outside because there's so much benefit um, to also being in nature, but Hey, if you like yeah. walking around at the end of the night, watching your show or whatever it is, like go for it. That works yeah. too. I love it. Kind of like thinking about this year and resetting. Um, I'm trying to incorporate more movement, but one thing that's actually more top of mind for me walking for sure. I still need to work on that, but breath work. I realize that I am consistently holding my breath throughout the oh, day. 
And I know, you know, we were, we had a meeting yesterday and I was at, I was in meetings from like, 8.30 to 2, all fun stuff that I'm so energized and excited about for Bia. And I just felt so exhausted afterwards. And I'm like, you know, I am legitimately not breathing properly through the day. So I took like 10 minutes. I have like the Peloton app on my phone. They have a bunch of breathwork classes, even on YouTube. Sometimes I'll Google free stuff. And um, I literally did 10 minutes and it sounds so simple, but I genuinely felt like it made a difference that I'm like, I really want to prioritize breath work because I truly believe I'm not breathing correctly and it's impacting mm. how I feel. And, you know, as we're both like kind of on our periods, I feel like anxiety is more, you know, I have like very light level anxiety around this time of the month and I'm fully aware it's because of my hormones. So it's like, what can I do? What tools can I incorporate to make me feel a little bit better? And yeah, breath work is kind of like top, top of mind right next to movement these days. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. Cause I feel the same way. I'm holding my breath constantly throughout the day. There's seconds where I'm like, wait, did, have I been breathing yeah. this? Have I been, what, what am I doing? Yeah. And, um, Andrew Huberman, who we are huge fans of and love, <clears throat> he talks a lot about breath work and he posted yesterday that breath work actually outperforms meditation and other types of active relaxation. Yes. So breath work is just, it's kind of a shortcut way to relax your nervous system and get you where you want to be, um, out of an anxious state very quickly. So I'm all about the breath work. And I think what we are, what we learned in the interview that we're going to be talking about right now is that you have to schedule time for this stuff. If you don't put it in your schedule, it probably won't happen. And that's, that's really what we talked a lot about with Dr. Anjali D'Souza today. Dr. Anjali D'Souza is an integrative and functional medicine doctor that is specifically interested in helping high achieving but overscheduled women achieve their best health. She runs a practice in DC called the District Center for Integrative Medicine. We highly recommend that you check out her Instagram account, which is full of information and perhaps unusually for a serious doctor, some dancing. She's at Anjali D'Souza MD and Dr. D'Souza also runs a private network for women called Your Goddess Health Unleashed. If you are interested in the network, which I'm sure you will be after hearing this interview, you can reach out to her on her Instagram page. And what I really love so much, Kay, about this interview, and you briefly talked about it, is like how she really gives practical tips that we can incorporate, like scheduling certain things. And we go through a whole host of stuff. But she also talks about, you know, one aspect that I feel like we don't talk enough about when it comes to hormone health is the importance of our gut health. And she shares her mm. top tips, you know, maintaining a healthy gut microbiome and really what foods that we can eat day to day, too. Yeah. And, um, another thing that Anjali, Dr. Anjali gets into in this episode is estrogen. And if you are someone who is dealing with estrogen dominance, estrogen deficiency, any of the symptoms there, this episode is an absolute must. So truthfully, Dr. D'Souza feels like a friend or a health ally. And I think her patients are so lucky to have such a compassionate doctor like her. Uh, truly, I think you guys are going to love this interview. So let's get into it. Well, Dr. D'Souza, it's an honor that you're here. And we actually wanted to start off the interview by talking about you. You know, you're a medical oh. doctor, you're trained in medical school and residency. But at some point, I'm sure you must have thought there's got to be a different way to approach the chronic issues that you're seeing day in and day out with your patients. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, it's so lovely to be here, especially with women that I really admire and respect. So thank you for having me. Um, It's especially lovely to be with such incredible women. Um, So on your question, I mean, first I'll just say that I had the great fortune to be in a family that really modeled for me that lifestyle and nutrition were enormous, right? Mm. So I had this idea very early on that these were the keys to success as far as health goes. And I fell in love with my pediatrician and I kind of had the thought like, but why isn't she talking to me about like what I'm eating and sleeping and all this other stuff? And so my whole goal actually in going to medical school was to be at the time, what I called it was like a holistic doctor, right? And I was obviously very sorely surprised once I got to medical school, while I loved all the learning and found it fascinating, you know, there was none of this about lifestyle, nutrition, mindfulness, none of this was talked about. And in fact, I mean, I would say that most people thought I was a little crazy when I asked questions about it, right? So, you know, I kind of did my own due diligence to just seek out mentors and look for education, went to naturopathic school as an allopathic medical doctor for a little bit of time so that I could just get my, you know, get my like eyes on different ways of supporting people. But it really wasn't until I broke down myself that it became really pivotal for me to be like, this system is really broken. So I was really interested and I was excited and I was like selling all the stuff of holistic medicine is the way, integrative medicine is the way. And then when I had my first daughter and I basically fell off the cliff, Mm. it was the moment for me to be like, wow, like how Mm. profoundly the system is broken really became, you know, it hit home, obviously. Mm -hmm. So um, at that point, I, like many in in this journey, I had to fix myself and in doing so became very excited about like just screaming for the rooftops for women who have this story all the time. I mean, I thought I had a very unique experience, but truthfully, so many of us have been in a situation where we don't feel well, we go to the doctor, Mm. we're told everything is normal, and we're sent home. Oftentimes, what what I was given was a prescription for an antidepressant, Mm. which was just not at all what I needed. It would be fine if it was, but it wasn't. So that's how it all began. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. You said something there that I definitely can relate to. I just had my first daughter. And so it's like the most lovely time, but also I can see how very quickly it's leading to a point of like burnout and just me feeling like 
how can I do everything? And I'm so like Yasmin and I talk about this all the time. We're super dialed into this space, but even for us, it's so hard. Like how do we make time to do all the things on top of like me being a mom, having a business, full-time job, whatever it is. So what is your advice? And I'm sure you have so many patients who are going through the same thing. What's your advice to busy women who Mm want to also support their health? Such a great question. I mean, I would say top line, and then I have some like little bullets below it. Top line would be, you can do it all and you will do it all, but you will not do it at the same time. And your goals for what taking care of your health looks like are going to be much smaller than what our ideals are, right? Mm. So if we think about kind of more mindset wise to start, I mean, obviously we are overloaded. Kids, work, partners, business plans, all of the things, right? And when we're young, I think that we have that health resilience to kind of keep pushing our health goals a little bit lower on the to-do list. And luckily we have the resilience in our health to be able to do that until we don't, right? And having a baby can be that big stressor. There's something that's gonna come in that shifts it for us. So unlike me, because I did this wrong, like if you put your health on the same shelf as all the other tasks that you have to do, that's number one, right? And I think the important nuance in that is think of it as like a little piggy bank up there and you're making like tiny deposits. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm going to go work out at the gym for an hour. It's tiny deposits into that piggy bank that will build kind of like your 401k, right? So that when life happens, especially when you've got young kids and sometimes things just doesn't, it's not going to happen, right? You have built and paid into the system a tiny bit every day. You've made those little health deposits and you can make it work. Right. So that's kind of the mindset piece for me. I also think on a pragmatic day to day level, the schedule is everything. So if Mm -hmm. I were to print out my schedule for you, like it is color coded and it's like exercise here, mindfulness here, meal planning here. Right. Everything has a time and it's a little I mean, it sounds a little robotic, but I promise it doesn't feel that way. It actually makes me feel Mm -hmm. so sane because I know when I'm doing what thing and I give it my full attention. And sometimes meditation is maybe seven minutes, but I know where I'm doing it every day. Right. And that really allows me to get it done and not have that constant mental load feeling of, oh, I haven't done X and I haven't done Y. And then you bring in the guilt and the shame and forget Mm. it, then it's just not happening, right? Mm -hmm. So I think those would be the two most like practical day-to-day recommendations. And then I have a thought about like when you actually go to the doctor also, if that's helpful. Oh, love to hear that. Yeah, Um, I would say that it's really important to be informed, whether it's listening to a podcast like yours or reading about integrative or functional medicine, knowing the difference between normal and optimal is huge, right? Mm. Because even myself as a physician, when I went to the doctor, when I had fallen off the cliff, when she said, you're fine, you're totally normal. I was like, okay, I'm fine. I'm totally normal. And I just left the appointment. And it wasn't till two hours later that I was like, wait a minute, I had like 400 follow-up questions for her that I didn't ask. Right. So being prepared, writing your questions ahead of time, and then maybe even taking a health advocate with you, right? Like bringing a friend who can remind you of what is it that you wanted to ask? What are your goals here? Because you get so 
lost and overwhelmed in that moment that sometimes you forget to ask for what you need. So that would be like cherry on top. Like don't hand over all of your power to your doctor. Know what you're doing when you go in there. I guess I'm, I'm interested. I have a follow-up question about those small changes that maybe lead over time to very meaningful, big changes. Um, what is an example of what that looks like? Because I think a lot of people, you know, I, work in this space as well. And they see like, oh, I have to quit sugar. I have to start exercising. Yeah. I have to do this. I have to do that. And then yeah. it feels so overwhelming that it's like, if I can't do it all, then I just need to like not do it right now. 100%. But so many smaller things can happen in the meantime. So what are maybe some examples of what that could look like? Yeah. I mean, I think first you have to figure out where you are on the health spectrum. Like there are some people that maybe haven't ever thought about what they're eating at all. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe for them, it's like, oh, I'm going to just move to maybe not eating processed food as much. Right. I'm going to like make an effort to eat some real foods for someone who's maybe more dialed in health wise. It might be I'm committing to getting off my work time at 9.30 p.m. every night, right? Like these tiny little things. And once you have success in in like something smaller where it's just no different than waking up and brushing your teeth, you don't even have to think about it, then you can add another thing, right? This is a long journey of life yeah. and of health that we're on. We're not doing this in a sprint. And even though many of us have this black and white kind of thinking about health. I'm not sure why that's true. It's not true about anything else. It's not true about parenting, right? Like I make Mm -hmm. mistakes all the time with parenting and yet I just wake up the next day and I'm like, oh, I'm going to try something different. Whereas with Mm -hmm. health, we're like, either I do it or I don't. I've won or I've lost, right? There's this very black and white mentality. And I think if you identify one to three small things, let's say it's, I'm going to turn off the computer at a certain time. I'm going to meditate for five minutes a day and I'm going to choose to meal plan once a week, right? And you stick with that and you you have momentum and success with that, then maybe you add two or three more things in three to six months or maybe even 12 months, right? This is, again, it's a long journey that we're on. And I try to slow down my patients all the time because often once somebody comes to me, they're like, give me everything, tell me all the things. And I do, but at the same time, I'm like at the end of every treatment planning session, it's like, what are the two things that you know that you can commit to? And then they'll tell me, and then they usually can do it because they've decided, okay, this is two things. I can do it. And when you feel the momentum of the success of something, then you naturally want to add more, right? Otherwise, if you decide you're going to do 4 million things, you fail at all of them, then you just don't want to get back on the horse, right? So that would be what I would say, keeping it super small, like almost smaller than you feel satisfied with, and then build from there. I love this because... I mean, I know how Kea was saying, you know, we get exposed to so much health content and we're always trying things in our own lives. But I think it's a good reminder of keeping it as simple as you can. Like sometimes I'm even hard on myself, right? Like my movement is not the best that it is right now. However, on the positive side, I've really worked on my sleep. I've really worked on having three meals a day. I'm trying my best to get sun in the morning. And like you said, like these three small things can make such an impact, you know, as you do, and then you slowly stack more above it. But it's like, how do we just focus on the basics and what feels right to you that you can tackle in this phase of life, whether you're just starting a business, you just have a kid, you're switching careers, we all feel very overwhelmed sometimes. But I just love how, as a doctor, the way you just kind of articulated that is just game changing. So I I so appreciate that, um, Anjali. And it's about staying in the win, right? Like what you were just saying, your three things that you're doing, if you stay in the momentum of the win, Mm. 
and you want to collect more wins. But if you're in the energy of like, man, and I didn't do this and yeah. I didn't do that. And man, I'm really failing at this. That's not empowering. Right. And you're not going to do more. So it's really awesome to celebrate the wins. I think that's important. It's something that I often say in the group kind of medical visits that I have on my network. Every week we start with, tell me what your wins are. And the win mm. can be like, I didn't eat a candy bar yesterday. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. I'm so excited about that. So yeah. we have to really celebrate. We're so hard on ourselves as women. Totally, totally. And you know, one thing I just want to underscore, because I do think it's helpful, and I found it helpful is just being as organized as you can be on your calendar. And I'm still a work in progress there. But when I have planned those workouts in advance, Mm -hmm. I actually get it done. And it might not be like that hour class, but 30 right. minutes, even for a walk. And so when we're so busy, and you know, we're all running businesses, and we get we're always in defensive mode, like fire here, my baby, I have to figure this out with this person. Like, yeah. it, it's just nice to be a little bit proactive in advance because you don't have to yeah. think about it. You're like, okay, this is a time that I'm gonna tend to spend 15 minutes of just alone time or going for a walk. And I have found that to be game changing for me. So that's something I'm thinking a too. lot about, like yes. there's yes. a lot there. So it I, revolutionized I, my life to put my life wow. into 30 and one hour minute blocks of like what's happening when, and you know, after 7 PM, there's nothing. And usually on the weekend, there's not much, but like during the week, Monday through Friday, everything is accounted for. And it also mm -hmm. means like your work time is more productive because I have time where I'm like, this is treatment planning. This yeah. is reading articles and you're not constantly pulled in a million directions. Now you guys are entrepreneurs. So I think at baseline, you're always pulled in multiple directions, but I think even then, if you decide this is what I'm doing yeah. for this period, you go. And on the exercise front, I mean, I have mine scheduled and sometimes I don't feel like going, mm -hmm. but I go because it's mm -hmm. on my schedule. Yeah. And even if it means I'm going to just go for a walk that day, I consider that a win and I check it. I literally check it off like in my calendar because that's another way of feeling like I did it. I feel good. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. silly, but it works. You talking about these group visits that you have or these group yeah. programs that you do also made me think how important accountability is for yes. women in particular, because I feel like we are such social creatures. So for me, my thing is like my neighbor and I go work out. And so yeah. she's like, Hey, you ready? And I want to cancel. It's like, somebody's relying on me she's waiting on you. Yeah. She's waiting on me to show up too. So I love that whole like uh, scheduling and the accountability piece is also it's nice huge. too. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think that that can really make a difference. And I see that in the group medical visits. It's fascinating. Something that I'll say to someone one-on-one -on -one that just kind of never clicks in the group context, because everyone's doing it and they're going to have to report back the next week, suddenly it happens, right? That community energy is so powerful. So it's such a good point. And so, you know, we've talked about a few of these lifestyle and mindset shifts, but I'm curious, what would you say are maybe the top three areas when it comes to optimizing our health as women? Yeah, great question. So I have kind of this three-prong approach to women's health that includes metabolic health at the top, hormone health on one side, and digestive health on the third side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these prongs can't really float in space. They need the scaffolding of lifestyle, so your sleep and your exercise, nutrition, and then I personally love to think about spiritual vitality as part of the scaffolding. And for me, as you guys probably know, that's dancing. Like when I dance, I just am in like a totally different dimension of just 
gleefulness, right? Mm. And we have to have that, whether it's nature or if it's religion for you, or if it's your kids or your family, having those moments where we are just like free and in our bodies and present, I mean, that's, that's real life, right? Otherwise life can feel just like a series of tasks and to do's. So I really include that in my scaffolding. And when you've got that scaffolding of the three prongs, then you've got kind of an indestructible a triangle, right? Like it's an indestructible triangle. And this is what I call your goddess health unleashed. It's what I named my like group, you know, network, because I think when you have all of those together, you can really just be the goddess that we all are and feel amazing. Well, I'd love to dig into each one if you don't yeah. mind. So I know we, we hear a lot about metabolic health, hormone yes. health and digestive health, but let's start with metabolic health. What yeah. is it on the most simplest terms and how can we be more mindful of incorporating it in our everyday lives? Yeah. So I think many of us kind of casually think about metabolic health or metabolism kind of like, am I fit or am I not fit? Do I, you know, am I someone who like loses weight easily or not? It's very superficial. But when we're thinking about like the biochemical piece of it, it's literally how we take in nutrition and turn it into ATP or energy. And how efficient is that system? How well does it do it? Are there roadblocks? Are there hiccups or are there not? Mm -hmm. And I put metabolic help up at the top of the triad because I really think if you can have some nodding or attention or dialing it in, if you're really going to you know, go for it, the rest of your health tends to work out when your metabolic health is mm. really in a supreme place. So what does that mean or what could it look like? I mean, some of the tenants would be finding the right macronutrient balance for your body to be optimally functioning. So what are the carbohydrates versus the protein versus the fat in your diet? Are you able to switch from burning carbs for fuel, which most of us do primarily, to burning fat for fuel? And how well do you spit out ATP, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us, the majority of us, I would say 90 plus percent of us are not metabolically healthy, even if we look visually like we're healthy. So, you know, oftentimes it's hard to know if you're metabolically fit unless you're working with a provider that's going to check things like a fasting insulin or a fasting glucose. A hemoglobin A1C is something that's a little bit more, you know, general and typically you're going to get, but you're not going to see changes there until you were on the pre-diabetes or diabetes spectrum. So looking at some of these earlier markers can be helpful. And truthfully, if you're someone that feels fatigued or sleepy after meals or fatigued, generally speaking, that's a clue that maybe you should be talking to someone about like, how is my metabolic health? Can you help me with this, right? And as metabolic health is more imbalanced because of the way our mitochondria as they make ATP are connected to everything, it's gonna worsen your hormone health, it's gonna worsen your digestive health, your brain health, I mean, everything, it falls under that, right? But after that big box, and the, the other two kind of take equal weight, but if we talk about hormones, um, here I think about you know your sex hormones, your adrenal hormones, your thyroid hormones. And as I said, if you kind of dial in metabolic stuff, you tend to work out much of the hormone piece, but sometimes you need some additional help or love there. And 
think testing can help with that to kind of know what you're looking at. And then lastly, digestive health really connects to hormone health. And it's something that we can talk about more specifically today. But the strength and health of your microbiome is going to impact your skin and your immune system and your hormone health. And I, I consider kind of the liver and the the intestines as, as part of that whole digestive system when I'm thinking about, I need to really work to optimize that, to get that triad in organ in order to get the triangle fixed and to give you your goddess health, basically. Let's talk about the gut because yeah. I think it is so connected to our hormones and not a lot of people know about that. They might be experiencing like things like fibroids or estrogen dominance or PCOS and not have any clue that their digestive system is involved in what's going on. So can you talk about the connection between gut health and hormonal health? I would love to, yeah. And what you said is so spot on. And I see it all the time when, when women come to me for a hormone complaint, right? And I order a comprehensive stool <laughs> test. They're like, why do you want to look at my poop? Like, what does that have anything to do with my hormones? And it, it's fair because I think we're, we're sold this story that our hormones are separate from our gut and our brain. Um, and, you know, as an, as an aside, I think that reductionism is a big part of why our medical system, despite all the innovation that we have, is somewhat abysmal as far as outcomes go, right? But to, to bring it back, a comprehensive stool test, just to explain what that is, is a little bit more nuanced of a test than you would get from your primary care doctor, let's say if you went to an exotic country and came back with diarrhea. So it looks for something called dysbiosis, so the imbalance of good to bad bacteria. It will tell you how well you're secreting enzymes into the gut. It will tell you how well you're digesting foods. It comments on inflammation. And you know this type of stool test, I think, helps us really first analyze the microbiome. And for, for listeners of your podcast who are super savvy, I'm going to say something probably slightly obvious, which is the strength of the microbiome, the robustness of the microbiome is connected to all things good with your health. And, you know, just to delineate some of the biggest things that we think about with the microbiome, number one would be it's a huge mediator in the immune system. So that can be as simple as like helping you with the flu that you have, but also is it going to be supportive or not supportive in you developing an autoimmune disease, right? Which is a big kind of like disabler for women in, in, our, in our world. Number two would be thinking about how it helps the production of neurotransmitters, so serotonin and GABA. And then number three, obviously the like intake of macro and micronutrients and the distribution of all of those. Those are the mm -hmm. things people most commonly think about. But what I would argue is it's also an endocrine organ, right? So this is something that we don't think about and kind of bringing us back to your question. Um, endocrine basically means sending messages to help communicate via hormones what we're going to do in our body. And often we'll think of the thyroid or the adrenals or the hypothalamus as endocrine organs, but the gut is definitely an endocrine organ. Um, we're close to the holidays, so we'll, let's just do like a, a holiday analogy. So if the production of hormones is kind of like Santa's factory line making all of your presents, right? I think of like the elves as the microbiome. So the elves are going to decide like, what packaging am I going to put on this? Is this going to go to Tommy? Is this going to go to Sally? Or actually, 
is this a damaged product and we need to send it back or we need to send it back to Santa to relook at this, right? That's really what the, what the microbiome is going to be doing. And to take a quick step back, just to explain estrogen, it usually exists in three different forms in our body. Um, and for it to be eliminated, it first goes in the factory to the liver. Okay, and it needs to be properly tagged. It needs to have a proper bow on it so that it can enter the cool club of the GI tract, okay? So those little tags that it gets in the liver are called glucuronidation and sulfation. And those have to happen for estrogen to enter into the intestines. And then once it's actually in the intestines, this is where the cool stuff with the microbiome happens, right? Basically, there, there's a subfactory called the estrobilome, which is literally all the bacteria that handle estrogen, okay? And they are going to sense in the body, how are we doing with estrogen? What do we need? What do we not need? And decide if it's going to be eliminated mm -hmm. or if it's going to be recirculated, which like, if you think about that just alone, it's mind blowing, right? Mm -hmm. Like how cool that is. Um, these little bacteria are deciding the fate of our estrogens. Um, so, I mean, one thing that I just will tell you, cause I think this is like, will drive home how important the microbiome is for your hormone health. They have studies where they take two sets of women, right? One set of women that have hormone dysfunction that maybe have PMS or PCOS or endometriosis, and another set of women that are like, nothing. I got nothing to report. My hormones were happy, right? They take aspirates of their microbiome, each group, and then they inject them into mice that are completely neutral, right? Like basically they have no symptoms. And you find that the group that has the microbiome inserted that had hormone problems, those exact hormone problems get recreated in the mouse, which tells you like how just like the magnitude of the microbiome in affecting what happens with your hormones, right? Which is pretty cool. Um, and I'm happy to go on like a little nerd journey to explain what happens further in the gut, but I want to pause because I've been talking for a while. If there's anything you guys no. want to say. No, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, please continue. And then I have a few questions, but I, I would love to hear more. Okay, okay. So for taking it further than like the elf analogy, right? Like in the actual microbiome, the bacteria there have a certain enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And when you hear the word ACE in medicine, it basically means scissors, okay? So these bacteria have scissors around that they cut off that glucuronidated product. Remember I said it had to have the glucuronic acid in the liver to be able to enter into the intestine. So mm -hmm. now in the intestine, when the, the bacteria decide, oh, we need to send this estrogen back, it will cut off that glucuronidated product and it gets recirculated back into the body. Okay. And similarly, if it doesn't get cut off, it will actually be excreted. So this is kind of how it does it through that mechanism. And there are a few other ways, but they just haven't been as clearly elucidated. This is the most clear um, understanding that we have. And the thing is, I guess that's really interesting is things that we are exposed to all the time, stress, mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals, antibiotics, inflammatory foods, these things can disrupt the health of that little subfactory, the estrobilum and the microbiome at large. And it will change how that little scissors behaves. 
So for example, if you have dysbiosis, you have an imbalance of good to bad bacteria, then you're gonna have more scissors around and you're gonna recirculate more estrogen. As you have higher estrogen, you're more likely to have menstrual migraines and heavy mm -hmm. periods and painful periods um, and PMS, right? And on the other hand, if you the strength of your microbiome is like a little bit piss poor, right? Maybe you don't have a lot of diversity, then you potentially don't have enough enzymes and you're secreting out and eliminating more estrogen than is ideal. And in that situation, you might have more of a low estrogen state, which is, you know, your estrogen is necessary for your bones and your body composition and your brain and your cardiovascular health. So it's a delicate balance, right? And you need that to be there. But hopefully I'm painting the picture that the gut is like right front and center in helping determine all of that with respect to your hormones. I love that. It was such a beautiful picture that you painted. Okay. Like, all, yeah. <laughs> now I actually understand what was happening with my body before, because I thousand percent had high estrogen. Yes. I for sure was not detoxifying my estrogen. And I'm actually curious. I know this is a little controversial of a topic, but I'm going to talk about it from my own experience is, yeah, you know, I was on the pill since I was like 14. I had horrible PMS. And at the time, everybody was on it. And, you know, I was young. I wish I did a little bit more research, but I didn't. I got off of it. And I truly think like so many things in my body were off, right? For sure, my gut microbiome, like now that I'm on the other side and seeing just the changes that, how, changes that I've done to my own body. Yeah. But I'm curious, you know, with patients that you see who have been on the pill and get off of it, what are some shifts that the body is experiencing and what do you recommend? I mean, is it, I would assume a lot of it's supporting the gut microbiome because I do feel mm -hmm. like mine was completely wrecked. That's right. I mean, it's definitely when you're on the pill, you are going to have some consequences to your gut microbiome, to nutrients generally, like there's some insufficiency of especially B vitamins that happen when you're mm. on the pill and you change something called sex hormone binding globulin, like you'll really increase it. And basically sex hormone binding globulin is kind of like a taxi for hormones such that it will bind hormones and make them unavailable. And that can be good if you're trying to just suppress this you know, symptoms that you have, but it's not so good when you're trying to encourage your body to figure out its hormone balance, right? The mm -hmm. other thing that happens with birth control is you basically stop the communication between your brain and your ovaries so they don't ever learn how to do the dance together, to talk to each other. And as, as you're seeing with the microbiome, there's a lot of crosstalk that happens with deciding like how much, when. It's, it's a very dynamic and delicate system. So all of that gets a little bit out of balance. The first thing I would say is to have patience because there is going to be a period sometimes for months where mm -hmm. that dialogue between your brain and your ovaries is not happening right and so usually i will like i will really like to support the microbiome i also really like to support detoxification because you've got some of these you know kind of like exogenous hormones now in your body and you may need some help removing them right so getting some good detoxification support and there are very simple ways to do that i mean obviously just staying hydrated but as far as targeted nutrients go cruciferous vegetables are huge for this, yeah. getting your sulforaphane in, 
curcumin, rosemary, your dandelion greens. These are things that are in your toolbox, like at your local grocery store that really support detoxification. I think those two things, microbiome, detoxification, and then I would say really supporting the adrenals. So the adrenal mm -hmm. glands, they mount the fight or flight response. They are part of your metabolic health and they also are kind of your backup hormone system. So if, you're, if you are under crazy amounts of stress and you come off the pill, it's going to be much harder for you because we rely on our adrenals to kind of kick in to support us. So those would be the three big pillars that I would say that I would look at. Okay. No, that's super helpful. And one thing that you touched upon, we actually get a lot of women who ask us this question is like, how do I support my adrenals? You, you briefly mentioned what that is. Mine were completely shot. Yeah. Clearly, for, I actually didn't know birth control makes an impact. I just thought it was also my crazy career I had in finance. It was primarily that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't even realize it, but I'd love to hear, you know, you know, wh why is it important to think about our adrenals, especially as women and what we can do to continue to support it? Yeah. So the long-term kind of plan, part of what I was talking about, like the piggy bank analogy, like your adrenals are your 401k to hormones when you're postmenopausal. So this is a really important point that I think people don't mention enough. We have all of this negativity about perimenopause and menopause, and it's terrible, and you're going to feel horrible, and you're going to gain 40 pounds, and blah, blah, blah. But if you take care of your adrenals early on, and your adrenals are like ready to rumble, then menopause does not have to be a big deal. They are actually the system that takes over the production of hormones. So if you're nurturing that system, menopause will be a total breeze, which is an amazing thing to think about, right? Mm. Um, and here, it's, it's the smallest things that support it. Now, if you're working in finance and you're not sleeping and you're like stressed out of your mind, some of those simple things are gonna have a harder time like taking hold. But generally speaking, getting sufficient sleep at night, mm -hmm. doing some kind of compensation activity. So, you know, we are all going to be exposed to stress. There's no way to avoid that. But what is your compensation practice that allows you to reset into joy and to fulfillment? Is that dancing? Is that being in nature? Is that meditation? Like something that you engage in for five to seven minutes a day, nothing crazy. And then the adrenals really respond to real food. So the more that you can give it kind of real nutrient dense food, the happier that they will be. I love that. I had no idea that adrenals were correlated with perimenopause and postmenopause and postmenopause. Yeah, I wish more women knew that because, you know, I think if we knew that, it, we may not be able to perfectly like take away our stress, but we would be more focused on, yeah. well, I don't want to be miserable in menopause. So like I'm paying into this system now, you know? I've never actually heard it explained that way. You know, I knew that essentially at a certain point, your ovaries stop running the show yeah. and then yeah. your adrenals take over. But because nobody's talking about it. It's like, no. and so many women do think, okay, I get to a certain age and it's all just downhill. That's and right. it breaks my heart to, to even think that women feel that way. And that no. group of women, sometimes they feel forgotten or just this is the mm. way it has to be. But just to hear you say like, actually this could be okay and it doesn't have to be the worst yes. is like so wonderful. It, and it's so true. And, you know, we just have to keep putting that message out there because it doesn't have to be this doom and gloom time. It's like, take care of your adrenals, 
And the other big thing that I would say is lift weights, like do some resistance training to make sure that you're keeping good muscle mass on your body. You do those two things and menopause will be a total breeze. You know, we hear that a lot, strength training, working out. It's a common theme with a lot of the women experts that we've had on the podcast. So I love maybe if you can expand a little bit more. I know you're very passionate about it. You've dialed that into your life. But why is that so important, especially as we age as women? Yeah. So, I mean, basically from the time that you're in your late 20s, we are actively losing about 3 to 8% of muscle mass every single year. That's just wow. the way it is right? Um, and that's not necessarily bad, but it can be if we're not aware of it, right? So as you're losing muscle mass, and as you get older and your hormone profile changes, we are all naturally going to become more insulin resistant, meaning hmm. the more, you know, no matter what we're bringing in, let me put it this way, we are going to carry that sugar in a, in a more difficult and negative way, okay? So both of those things are just independently happening no matter what. Now, if you are not lifting weights, not resistance training, you're losing muscle mass, you're losing hormones like testosterone that help you with that, then what happens is your muscle just naturally shrinks. And then it's a compound effect because as you have less muscle, you have less places for all that glucose to go. Now it's going to contribute to that classic perimenopause, menopause weight gain that we have, mm -hmm. right? And as you kind of let go, if you do of muscle, then what you're at risk for most significantly as you lose estrogen is bone changes, osteopenia, osteoporosis. And these are devastating diseases for women, right? To potentially be above the age of 65. And if you have a fall, you know, and you haven't been working on this, there's a very good chance you will never walk again in those situations, right? So again, it's not something that people are yelling at us about when we're in our 30s and 40s, but really they should be because this is when we can do all of the prevention so that we can move through our 60s and 70s and be super strong and fit and not have to worry about any of this. So if you build muscle on your body while you are still premenopausal, and it's not over if you're postmenopausal, but if you're doing it while you're still menstruating, then you've got reserve, right? It's all about the reserve. I think every, I mean, in some ways we've, we've talked about reserve multiple times here. You build that kind of reserve of muscle, then you are more able to handle things metabolically and you were protected against some of the bone and skeletal changes that many of us, especially you know, petite or Asian women are going to be vulnerable towards. Yeah, we talk about that. I bring it up every single time, but I just, especially for the South Asian community, I feel yes. so passionately about it because it's yeah. just, I see what, you know, my elders have gone through. I mm -hmm. see that the lack of like strength training and stuff, what it can lead to. And typically South Asian women are not doing those things. That's right. It's part of what like drove my passion is watching my aunt and my mother, like be these super vibrant, active women who now find it difficult to leave their home sometimes because yeah. they're in so much pain and their body has, you know, you can develop scoliosis as an adult, as your muscular tissue just becomes less robust. And it's very, it's difficult. It's so painful. So I'm with you. Yes. It's like, we really have to educate women that it's preventable. I want to talk a little bit more, go back to gut health a little bit, because um, I think it's just such an important piece to total body health, but particularly mm -hmm. with hormones and a lot of our community who's struggling with the things that we were discussing before. So yeah. 
ideally you're working with a practitioner, you get a stool test, you really see what's going on and you have a plan of action. But yeah. what about just day-to-day -day things that people can yes. do to support their gut microbiome? Yeah. And I would even say that's probably like the last step. I think that there are so many things that we can be doing on a regular basis that will hopefully like mean that we don't ever have to go to that more specialized encounter. Mm -hmm. But I have two separate kind of, you know, recommendation boxes, both of which support the microbiome. But if we're thinking about hormones specifically, then I would say the consumption of lignin rich food. So ground flax is a, like a prototype example, but truthfully, like your BIA product, all the seeds in there are lignin. So those are a you know, a specific kind of polyphenol that are, they act as phytoestrogen. So phyto means a plant type of estrogen. And I think of these lignans as kind of like peacemaker estrogens, right? They can interact at the same receptors as our hormone um, production of estrogen can or exogenous production, like if we're getting it from plastics. But they are a much calmer, nicer, sweeter version of estrogen that helps balance the estrogens. So I think, you know, consumption of seeds or specifically ground flaxseed can be really powerful. Number two would be, we mentioned it before, the cruciferous vegetables, right? So this is your broccoli, your cauliflower, your Brussels sprouts. These are very high in sulforaphane. And to bring it back to our kind of like Santa factory line, in the liver, right, this is a big step in figuring out where estrogen goes. We need to add those tags to estrogen in order for it to go to the right place. And when you're consuming lots of cruciferous vegetables, you are just better at putting those tags on so that you can then eliminate your estrogens that need to be eliminated more properly. Um, and then lastly, for the more like estrobilome health part of this, the, the hormone health part of this, I would probably say the consumption of beta carotene rich foods. So mm. these would be like your sweet potatoes and your squashes and your carrots. And what those beta carotene foods do is balance the scissors, the beta glucuronidase. So it helps keep that in check. So it's not too activated because as I mentioned, when it's too active, you bring back too much estrogen and it leads to estrogen dominance and all the potential sequelae that are related to that. So those would be my like hormone gut recommendations, but I'm happy to say like general microbiome recommendations too, if that's helpful. Yeah, I, I think, think so. so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So generally speaking, I would say consume probiotic rich foods, right? Mm -hmm. So this would be like your, my favorite is goat kefir or kimchi or sauerkraut or pickles, getting those foods in. I mean, the probiotic industry is obviously enormous and I have recommended and used them. But truthfully, I think if you are consuming probiotic foods, this is really kind of like the base and the staple upon which to build. And then getting those prebiotics, right? What's going to feed those good bacteria? So you're garlic, your onion, your asparagus, your artichoke, your leeks, like these are what probiotics love to eat and, and grow upon, right? So your fiber rich foods. And then lastly, I'd probably say like eat the rainbow, right? Mm -hmm. Eat as many colors as you can to support as many different microbes as you can really thriving inside of your GI tract. What I appreciate so much about this is it just all goes down to food and I think we're all, all of us are so passionate about this. And I do, you know, I, we speak to so many women who are struggling through hormonal imbalances and whether or not they use BIA, we preach exactly what you're saying. It's like, just think about food. the fundamentals of food. And 
I'm just so happy that you continue to talk about this because I think from an MD's perspective, like it is powerful, right? We've all seen it in our own lives. I would not be this passionate if I didn't see the changes in my life with food. But I just think it's important because I do feel like sometimes a lot of, or not a lot of women, just some women I've talked to, they're like, just, I'd rather just take a pill and it be gone. I'm like, it's not going to truly get to the root cause of what you're looking for. And maybe be as the, not, not the right fit for you, but really dialing food is just so important. So every, just all your recommendation just goes back to a diverse set of foods, the right foods. And I just, yep. I'm very passionate about this. So I'm so Yay. glad you're talking about I'm it. So, yeah. I'm with you. Yes, we share that passion. Yeah, it's, it's everything. I mean, food is the first, it's the first form of information that your body gets. It is the deepest yeah. form of medicine you can give your body. I'm gonna go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier on, just like the power of good metabolic health and blood sugar. And before I kind of went deeper and did all the tests of like fasting insulin and really understand, I think the basics of just having a blood sugar balancing meal has been life changing for me. So I'd love to hear what is a blood sugar balancing meal and Mm -hmm. how can women who are listening incorporate some of the tips you have in their everyday life with the meals that they're eating? So I think, you know, meal pairing here and thinking about what's on your plate, kind of like what you were saying is probably the simplest way to like put your feet into this bucket, right? So instead of thinking about maybe I'm going to have, like, I'm going to eat popcorn for my snack, which is just a whole load of carbohydrate and sugar, you might think, okay, every time I eat something, I want to bring a little bit of carbohydrate, but let me also bring some healthy fats and some protein onto my plate or onto my snack plate, whatever it may be. So always kind of thinking about bringing in the three if possible, but at least one of the fat or protein boxes, if you're going to have carbohydrates, I think is really important. You know, the glucose goddess as who we all know and love. She talks about eating naked carbohydrates, that this is not something that we really want to do. So eating carbohydrates alone, I think when you're young, you can definitely do it as you move into, you know, older ages. And, and, and I'm talking about twenties and thirties, not anything old. Um, we just become more unable to do that successfully without consequences. So if you can make sure you're pairing your foods, if I'm going to have even a piece of fruit, I'm going to also have maybe some almonds or, you know, some walnuts with it. When I make my plate for dinner, I typically have my, I mean, most of it is some kind of vegetable. Then I will have, you know, my protein and usually the carbs, whether that's rice or potatoes, it's the smallest little piece on there. Like I think of that as like, the like extra little like topping on the plate and not the major substance of the meal. And that's many of us have been taught something different and certainly restaurants give us a different idea about what that's supposed to look like. But I think if you're doing those things, like thinking about balancing those macronutrients and really your plate should be most of the time, primarily vegetables and some protein. Maybe you throw on some healthy olive oil or put an avocado with it. These are just super simple, basic ways to make sure that you're metabolically dialed in. I have a question about that because I think because like you said, society has taught us a different way where carbohydrates are the biggest portion on the plate, main portion, people become addicted to this. Their bodies change, their biology changes. So there is a way out of that, but it takes time. And so how do you help people kind of, because I, I feel it even myself that those types of foods can become addictive. How do you help people kind of get out of that? Yes. 
they are addictive. And interestingly, that goes back to the microbiome too. Like there, there, there are bugs in the, in the microbiome that are going to like, you know, promote more consumption of those carbohydrate foods that are, that are not so healthy for you. But, you know, it depends on the person in front of me and like who they are and what they need. For some people, I might actually recommend like a full on ketogenic dietary template reset where they might go into a ketogenic approach for a therapeutic amount of time to literally reset those pathways because sometimes they're just so ingrained and activated that you can try to reduce all day long and yet you're just stuck in that place of like, but I still want it. And then you eat it and then you feel bad and it's like on and on and on. Right. So sometimes that ketogenic pulse can be really helpful to reset people. I love using continuous glucose monitors, as you probably know. I think this is the single most powerful tool to put back a sense of like agency and autonomy in the person. And I like to say, no food is bad. It's about figuring out what your body wants. And when you can think about it that way, it's like, you think about it as like, this is like a self-service thing. Like I'm figuring out what my body wants and it's an empowering, positive practice. So, you know, the ketogenic diet, a CGM, and then for some people it's like, okay, again, what's that one thing that you are willing to do that you know is not supporting your metabolic health? And let's start with that, right? Like I I worked with a woman who for her, it was Coke. It was like, I just need to have a Coke every single day. That is my thing. I'm like, okay, how willing are you to change that? I really want to. Okay, well, then that's the only thing we're going to think about, right? Because she had been to many doctors and they were like, okay, you've got to cut out all the carbs and you've got to only eat vegetables and you have to stop drinking your Coke. And she was just like, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't and I need my Coke. But when she decided, it wasn't me telling her, when she decided I want to do the Coke thing, I'm like, that's all we're working on. Mm. That's it. And you're going to get success around that. And then we're going to move to the next thing. And at first it was like, okay, I'm going to start with drinking half a Coke instead of my full Coke a day. And then we moved it to a fourth. I mean, baby steps, right? So that gives a highlight of like, it depends on where you are and who you are. And no matter what, it's a win, right? Like you just start somewhere. Absolutely. I love that my boss always says he has a story of this woman who he helped who was addicted to, she would eat a bag of chips every day, like a full bag of Doritos. And he said, okay, we're just going to eat one less chip a day. Yes. Eat just one less chip until you get to the point where you're eating no more chips. And it's like, that was the thing that she needed in that moment that got her off the chips. So it doesn't have to be like a huge, crazy thing overnight. Yes. We need to have grace and patience with ourselves. Absolutely. That's such a great story. Yeah. I love that one. So I want to end on, uh, uh, basically your daily routine. I love hearing about people's morning routines and what they're eating. How do you set your day up for success? Yeah. So, I mean, how I set myself up for success include a couple things like the schedule, as I mentioned, number one, number two would be like, I really like plan a whole hour once a week where I am doing meal planning and organizing what's going to be served when in our house, which like I hate doing. And the big thing that like revolutionized my life is I moved that from a weekend activity to a Wednesday night Interesting. And that changed everything for me because when I was doing it on the weekend, it felt like I'm supposed to be having fun on the weekend. This is horrible. I don't want to think about this. (laughs) But when I changed it to Wednesday night, it was like, okay, like this is just work that I have to do. Right. So that has been game changing for me. And then we budget 
in, in our house to have someone come twice a week and set up some foods for us. So I tell her what to cook, but she comes and she'll cook. And this is like an insurance policy for me. Like as we were talking about food is everything. I know every time I open my refrigerator, there's going to be something in there that I decided should be there that is nutrient dense and that's going to be mm -hmm. nourishing for me, right? Same mm -hmm. for my kids. If they open up, like there's good stuff waiting for them. So that was just something that we decided we were going to budget for. And, you know, I, I still do cooking and my husband does too, but having someone help us just a little bit with that, those three things, the schedule, the meal planning on Wednesday and having a little bit of help, like have revolutionized how easy this is for me to execute. I also do things like I ride my bike to work every day. So I know that no matter what, I'm going to be moving in my day. Right. And I, it, yeah. it can be below 20 degrees and I just have the right gear on because I'm like, I'm doing this. Um, so I think those are kind of the things that have helped me succeed in keeping like my health piggy bank full. I love that. Well, Anjali, thank you for joining us. I'm oh, so inspired by you and I feel like we could talk all day, but this was so wonderful. For thank sure. you. This oh my God. Awesome. I'm so honored. Yeah. And thank you guys for all that you do with the Bia product. It's really, it's helping to change women's lives. So I'm just so grateful. Oh, we're we're honored that you've been our, such a supporter of us. So we're so grateful for you. Yeah. Anjali, thank you.